Section 3 of the National Geographic Magazine, Volume 9, July 1898. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Devin Tatlow. Geographic Development of the District of Columbia by W.J. McGee. The District of Columbia lies on the boundary between two great natural districts or provinces, the Piedmont Plateau and the Coastal Plain. The Piedmont Province is a low plateau composed of ancient crystalline rocks, extending westward to the Blue Ridge and stretching far northeastward and southeastward. This plateau is trenched by the Potomac and other rivers and their tributaries and its surface has been carved into hill and vale, broad divide and narrow valley, by the action of running water. During the ages past, it was a high plateau or mountain range, which was first canyoned and afterward carried away by the Potomac and neighboring rivers of the eastern United States. The coastal province is a broad lowland made up of sedimentary formations. It extends from the capital to the coast, and thence as a shallow sea bottom for over a hundred miles into the Atlantic, ending in a steep slope toward the ocean depths, and it stretches northward to New York and southward to the limits of the continent. Thus, the coastal plain is about half land and half sea bottom. Through the land portion, broad estuaries pass, bearing the waters of the Potomac and other rivers to the sea, and in the bottoms of the estuaries and in the sea bottoms beyond, certain channels have been revealed by soundings. The history of the development of the region may be read from the landforms of the two provinces and from the sedimentary formations or deposits of the coastal plain. Definitions. The student of geographic development takes note of one, processes or agencies, and two, products. The chief agency concerned in making this region is water, and the chief processes are A, erosion, and B, transportation by running water, together with C, deposition of the transported material in slack water, or in more general terms, degradation and subsequent aggradation. When a considerable area of earth crust rises in such a manner as to transform smooth sea bottom to dry land, certain changes are wrought to the surface. When the rains fall, a part of the water lies long on the level surface and forms marshes. But here and there rivulets form and flow down the gentle slopes toward the sea. The rivulets cut rills, and as the waters gather strength with increased volume, dig gullies. Eventually, the rills unite in streamlets and brooks, and the gullies expand into ravines and valleys and in time streams and rivers are formed, each flowing into a gorge or valley of its own making. In this way, the surface of the uplifted sea bottom is carved into valley systems, and the forms of the valleys determine the forms of the hills and divides by which they are bounded. It is in this way that the lands of the earth are sculptured, and the sculpture of running water produces a characteristic topography. The earth matter cut out of the rills, gullies, ravines, and valleys is transported by the running water into the adjacent lake or sea, where it is dropped, swept here and there by the waves, 
and eventually built into sheets of sediment or formations. So long as land and sea maintain their relative position, the sediments are accumulated continuously and constitute a single formation. But if the earth crust rises or sinks, the formation changes. If the earth crust rises, the ocean withdraws, and sea bottom is converted into land to be sculpted into landforms. If it sinks, the ocean advances and sediments are laid down over the landforms, sculptured by the running waters, and an unconformity is produced. Thus, in regions like the coastal province, there are two important classes of products. A. Landforms, and B. Formations and the unconformities separating the formations are old land surfaces. The development of the region is recorded in landforms, formations, and unconformities produced in this way. The landforms. Above the mouth of Rock Creek, Potomac River flows in a steep bluffed gorge cut sharply in the Piedmont Plateau. Rock Creek, too, occupies a narrow and rugged valley cut in a plain, a plain so definite that the eye catches its continuity and fails to note the valley, save when near its brink. The lesser tributaries of the Potomac and of Rock Creek flow in narrower valleys, gorges, and ravines, each proportionate to the length and strength of its stream. Thus, the western part of the district is a land of sharp-cut gorges and ravines, with rugged hills between while toward the main divides the waterways diminish in depth, and the surface becomes a gently undulating plateau. And it is evident that each channel, great and small, was carved by the great or small stream now occupying it. It is evident, too, that the channels are deep because this part of the land stands high above the level of the tide. And after a little study of the steepness of the valley sides, it is evident also that the period of valley cutting was not very long, for the steep slope is a sign of rapid stream work. Below Rock Creek, Potomac River expands in a tidal estuary, flanked by moderately steep bluffs and lined with alluvium or river mud. Anacostia River occupies a similar but smaller trough, relatively broad and shallow as that of the Potomac and its bluffs rise to a moderately uniform plain in which the trough is excavated. The lesser tributaries are estuaries toward their mouths, but flow in steep-sided gorges and ravines, much like those of the Piedmont, toward their sources. While the divides are broad, flat plains in which the drainage systems are imperfectly developed. Thus, the eastern portion of the district is a land of steep-bluffed tidal estuaries, narrowing above into gorges and ravines, with ill-drained expanses between them. The history recorded in these landforms is a little more complex than that recorded in the Piedmont. Since the valleys are proportionate in size to their streams, it is evident that all were cut by the streams now occupying them. Since the headwater ravines do not unite in the broad divide plains, and since the slopes are steep, it is evident that the land has not stood above the ocean long enough to permit the drainage systems to extend themselves over the entire surface. And since the larger valleys are occupied by the tide water and lined with alluvium, it is evident that the land formerly stood higher than now, 
and has since subsided so far as to permit ocean water to drown the larger river-cut valleys. So the landforms of the district tell of certain agencies and movements concerned in the development of the district. The formations. Washington is located in a triangular amphitheater opening southward through its southern angle. This amphitheater is lined with a peculiar deposit not found over the higher bounding hills. It is composed of brown loam, or clay, mixed with sand, gravel, and boulders. This is the Columbia Formation. It is generally coarser and finer above, the upper portion being used as brick clay, and in general it is coarser toward the gateway in the wall of the amphitheater, through which the Potomac enters in the western part of the city, and finer in the eastern and southern portions of the amphitheater. On comparing this deposit with the alluvium dredged out of the river bottom, there is found so close similarity as to warrant the conclusion that both were produced by the same agency. That just as the river is depositing the alluvium at the present time, especially during the spring freshets, so the Columbia Formation was deposited by the river during freshets of past ages. This conclusion involves the supposition that during the Columbia period, the land stood lower than now, so that the Potomac estuary occupied the entire amphitheater. Comparison of the alluvium with the Columbia deposits reveals certain minor differences in the deposits, notably a larger proportion of brown loam and a larger number and size of boulders in the ancient one. And these differences suggest that during the Columbia period, the climate was colder than now. The boulder-bearing ice flows larger, and the thaw freshets more destructive to soil than at present. These features suffice to correlate the Columbia formation with the glacial deposits of northern United States. Thus, the Columbia formation records definitely a period during which the land stood lower than now and the sea encroached further and when the climate was colder than now. Detailed study of the formation indicates that there were two great epochs of depression of the land, separated by a stage of elevation, the submergence during the earlier period being much the greater. The earlier Columbia deposits are found over the lower hills and uplands flanking the Washington Amphitheater, up to 200 feet above tide. The later Columbia mantles, Capitol Hill, and other portions of the amphitheater up to 100 feet above tide. The distribution of the Columbia deposits is such as to indicate that the great estuaries of Potomac and Anacostia rivers and the narrower rock-bound gorge of the Potomac, from Great Falls to its source, were carved out in nearly their present form before the Columbia period. Thus, these great geographic features record a pre-Columbia period during which the land stood far above its present level, so that the ocean retreated far beyond the present shoreline, probably to the great submarine scarp a hundred miles offshore. This period was one of great importance in the development of the district, though it has only recently been defined through the recognition of principles discovered during researches in the district. At that time, the entire coastal plain was land, so far elevated that rivers and brooks flowed swiftly across it and down its slopes, producing characteristic land sculpture, a surface now represented in one of the strongest unconformities in the coastal plain. On some of the highest hills bounding the Washington Amphitheater, 
there is found a deposit of red clay and well-rounded pebbles of quartz and quartzite, somewhat resembling the Columbia, but differing in that the pebbles are harder and more worn, and in that the deposit is more uniform and homogeneous. This is the Lafayette Formation. Outcrops of the Lafayette are found on Good Hope Hill, in the uplands about Soldier's Home, and on the hills toward Tenley, and most of the broad divides between the headwater ravines in the eastern part of the district and still further eastward are floored with the deposit. The structure of the deposit indicates that it was arranged by waves and currents along the shore of a shallow ocean, stretching far northward and southward, and its uniformity indicates that the deep valleys of the modern estuaries did not exist, and that it was laid down on smooth sea bottom, a former smooth land surface, before the post-Lafayette period of a high level. It is composed of materials which are either decomposed and thus degraded chemically, the brown loam, or of great chemic obduracy, the quartz and quartzite. And the simplest explanation of its composition is that its materials were gathered by swiftly flowing streams over a land which had long been subjected to the action of chemical rather than mechanical agencies, i.e. land lying low for a long period so that running water was sluggish and impotent, while decomposition of the rocks and soils went on pace. So the Lafayette Formation tells of a time when the land was low, so low that the Atlantic encroached beyond the longitude of Washington. It tells, too, of a seaward tilting of the Piedmont, whereby the streams were made swifter than before, so as to tear up the residuary soils and ancient quartz ledges. The distribution of the Lafayette indicates that it was originally a continuous mantle, stretching from the Piedmont far seaward and northward, and southward throughout the coastal plain but that during the subsequent period of high level, it was entirely cut away along the larger and many of the smaller streams, so that it is now represented only by a series of remnants on the higher divides. Thus, the Lafayette Formation is a definite record of a great subsidence and seaward tilting of the land, and at the same time it records a previous geographic condition during which its materials were prepared by chemic processes and a subsequent geographic condition during which most of its volume was carried away by running waters. The Combined Record of Landforms and Formations The margin of the Piedmont Plateau reaching the district is a land of fairly smooth contour, albeit trenched by gorges and ravines, and its rocks yield red clays and quartz fragments on decomposition, and these conditions are in accord with the evidence of the Lafayette Formation. Thus, the period of the shaping of the plateau may be correlated with the period closed by the deposition of the formation. The great gorges of the Potomac and Anacostia and of Rock Creek and other tributaries tell of a period when the land stood high above its present level, and this is in accord with the degradation of the greater part of the Lafayette, and permits correlation of the landforms in the two provinces. The lining of the Washington Amphitheater with Columbia deposits records the period when the land stood low and when the climate was cold, and this gives a date for the correlation of local geologic history with general geologic history. Thus, the landforms and the formations, when carefully studied and interpreted, yield a record of the development of the district through the ages. 
The streams flowed down to the sea. The waves rolled along the shores. Sediment was gathered here and deposited there. The earth crust alternately heaved and sank. As time passed, valleys were born and hills were fashioned, and the face of the land was transformed again and again. Each new geography was wrought from the old, and each can be restored in mind or in picture from the study of hill and rock. And each stage in evolution was an important episode in the geographic development of the District of Columbia. End of section three. Recording by Devin Tatlow.